Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lischenhauer longsword glosses. I'm your host, Mike Smoridge, and joining us are our panel of Johanna Hopfgardner, Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, and TQ. And this time, an extra special guest, Jess Finley. This is episode 25, where we'll be discussing lines 72 to 74 on the setting. That is Vorsetzen and Ansetzen. So, first of all, Jess, could you just say a few words to introduce yourself to anybody who had somehow managed to be a, a Zettel nerd and not met you? Sure. Hello, I'm Jess Finley, and I live in Lawrence, Kansas in the United States. Kind of, if you look at a map, I'm just smack dab in the middle. And um, I've been studying Lee Schenauer's art since February of 2003. And uh, I enjoy doing all parts of the art. So Gloschfechten, Harnischfechten, and now Rochefechten. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. Making us all look bad in so many different ways. Yeah. <laughs> Just quickly, what have we been up to since the last recording, Johanna? Um, a lot. <laughs> I I am trying to 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 make this short. I've been to Switzerland. I competed. Uh, I was allowed to compete, although some regions of Austria were blacklisted by the Swiss government. But mine wow. wasn't. So yay. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, remember when I challenged people to send me Stücke, <laughs> which they want to see me carried out in a competitive setting? Uh, because I remember, um, <laughs> I I I failed. <laughs> I, I I didn't. I I got really really hopelessly drunk with my friends, <laughs> and I I had left my club a few months ago, and this was the first. I know the last tournament where I compete as a member of Indes. And we brought a ridiculous amount of beer to the tournament to celebrate our last get-together. And it should have lasted us the whole weekend, but we managed to drink it all up on the first evening. And I, 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 I don't think my, my fencing was ever this bad. <laughs> <laughs> but you did it. Congratulations. I, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm... I already registered for my next tournament, which is in November in Berlin. And, oh well, second chance. <laughs> Great. Michael, what have you been up to? That's a good question. When did we last record? It was like a month ago. Um, yeah. I think I've mostly been working on the Fiore facsimile, which I just, just finished after like a week of work preparing the scans for the facsimile. So. The binder is still printing Talhoffers, but when they're done with that, they're going to start printing Fiores for me. And I've also been doing revisions on my books. Um, since I'm moving them from Lulu to Amazon, I thought I'd take the chance to fix some things that were bugging me about them along the way. And that turned into doing a full revision of my 3227A translation, which I'm currently soliciting feedback on. Um, but mostly try I, I fixed some things that didn't quite flow the way i wanted them to and now i've been looking at individual word choices which is a rabbit hole that could last forever because individual word choices are the hardest part but trying to figure out since this is supposed to be the easy reading version trying to figure out what translations are out there that i think are less accurate than mine but possibly make more sense to the uninitiated and which ones are not quite wrong enough that i would be embarrassed to have them but might actually make the book better 
So like Fritzen, I don't usually translate it as Perry, but in this case I am. And that's at least partly uh-huh. because 32278 doesn't have the guard breaking Fezetzen. So literally every mm. time it talks about Fezetzen, it means the same thing. And that could be described as parrying. So welcome to the parry club. But I'm yeah, not I'm translating say. it as attack, Steve. Well, someday. But usually I have a good displacement and I've I've fixed it. And now I'm trying to figure out how if I should be distinguishing between Vinden, Venden, and Karen. Or if those can all be turned, which is really, really rough. And if they can't all be turned, which one is turned and which one isn't? Fair enough. Um, Steve, what have you been up to? I let's see. Well, I guess. Oh, I came up with a. Um, I didn't come up with it. I'm sure people have been doing it. You know, the, my new way for a long time, but. I have a new go-to uh, Tsukin interpretation. So I guess we'll talk about Tsukin in like a few weeks, I guess. But um, before I was kind of pulling it straight back, pulling the sword straight back, like um, linearly and clearing the blade that way. And now I pull it to myself so that the sword is vertical and then kind of drop the point in on the other side. And I find that that works way better for me in a resistive context than the other one. And it follows the the text is pretty pretty vague. It just says kind of like uh, pull the sword to yourself. So yeah, I think I came across that kind of interpretation at T's old club and was bamboozled. Yeah, in Ringek they, I mean, in Ringek it's just a cut. So yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's less big in Ringek, but in uh, Dante and Lev, you uh, you're supposed to stab. So Ringek has a thrust as well. It's definitely there. It's just not like the only version of the play. Yeah. Well, his his half tukin is to a stab, right? It, we'll talk. You know, about it's it. funny. Go, go yeah, ahead. I mean, I won't be here for that. But it's funny that you have gone from. The linear pull to the rise because I have done the rise forever until about three months ago where I went to the linear pull. No. So <laughs> there we are. Uh, mostly because that's what it is in Harness Fecton. And I just decided to accept that and make it work. And it is working better for me. That actually is, is why I, one, part of the reason I used the linear for a while. I just kind of, ju- I mean, it, I could never make it work, but I justified it by saying, like, you know, and harness, this is clearly what it is. Because you can't, you know, obviously you're not going to go up and down if you're half-sorting. They can't see what I'm doing, but you guys can. He's doing uh, a really good dance. It's like something from Fortnite. Uh, T, what have you been up to? Not actually that much from a fencing perspective. Probably the most notable thing is that I've obviously had some more opportunity to do some fencing and test out the new... Uh, extra flexible uh, long swords I had built. Um, oh, yeah. I had these made for doing uh, doing kind of one-to-one lessons where you take a lot of thrusts or light gear sparring or similar. So they're very lightweight, very flexible fetish shorts. They've got a couple of little quirks, but I've had a chat with the maker, given him some feedback. He's been receptive to a couple of the points, so I'm going to get a full review out some point shortly. But in general, I recommend them as training tools if you can get them made to the appropriate specification. Uh, 
they're good little toys and really fun to fence and teach with. Sweet. Um, what have I been up to in the last month since we last recorded? Nothing fencing relevant, I don't think. Lazy as. Um, cool, so shall we jump straight into the, the Zettel here? Yeah, Hannah, would you be able to give us the, the German? Yeah. Ob dir versetzt ist und wie das da kommen ist, hör, was ich dir rate, reiß ab, hau schnell mit Rate. Setz an vier Enden, bleib darauf, leere will du enden. Thank you very much. Steve, would you be able to give us Harry's translation? If parrying befalls you, as it can happen to do, hear now what I say, wrench off, cut away. Set a pawn to four endings, keep it there, and you'll end him. Thank you very much. What a great rhymesmith Harry is. <laughs> You know, I, I found a video where he was reviewing, I think it was some gloves, and he doesn't sound nearly as bogan Australian as I thought he would. It's really disappointing. <laughs> Just quickly, from the gloss point of view, the, the first two couplets have their own little section of gloss, and the last couplet has a lot more text following it. Yep, that is basically the breakdown here. Does anybody else want to expand on that? <laughs> T, you, you replied. <laughs> so the uh, the first two couplets um, have a very small section of text that's basically describing how the counter to the two fezetsen might work, or what to do if someone has parried you, more or less, like the like the uh, glot that Zedl says. And in Danzig and Lev and Nikolaus, they give um, two plays. Which are connected to other techniques in the in the gloss, and in Ringak he has a completely different way of interpreting the verse, and he gives um, a different set of two plays, which are connected to a different part of the gloss. So Danzig and Lev give us a play that's sort of like a half abnehmen, where you start to do the abnehmen, and then instead of cutting around the other side of whatever the, you're going to the other side of you cut back in on the same side. Okay, so, so either so you're fainting out an abdomen and then not following through, or you're doing something clever with blade pressure um, to just go up and back down. So you're attacking, you've been parried, you faint to disengage, and then attack to the same yeah, place Yeah, basically you redouble your first attack. Um, whereas in the half, the half zukin is the same type of thing. You pretend like you're going to do a zukin, and then instead of going to, around your opponent's sword, you go back right in where you started. But that play is also covered in the Tukin section, so we don't really need to spend time on it here. We'll get to it. T, do you want to explain Ringek's part? Uh, sure. So Ringek has a couple of different plays here, which are basically continuations to parries. One of them's uh, wrenching with the pommel to pull the arm down pull their arm down, and one of them is a kind of snappen, sort of snapping action where they fall onto your sword and you push your hands and pommel up and then snap your uh, your edge down onto the target. They're kind of a different take on the whole... There's a line in the Zettel for this first couplet, um, like re uh, rep, rip off or wrench off. Uh, I can't remember what the original German is offhand. And they're a different take on what that bit would mean. Um, but have a similar idea of sort of forcefully rearranging the position of the bind or the position of the opponent's sword. And that's also interesting because Schnappen in Danzig and Lev is under the 
um, Fear and Zetson, I believe, which is much further later on, Sh which Ringek doesn't discuss there. Yeah. You know, it almost it almost seems to me that really the difference between Danzig and Love and Ringek um, is that Danzig and Love are assuming some sort of Zornhau-ish point and presence-ish situation, whereas Ringek is like, nah, he gave you a gigantic pair. And I think that's really the difference. Hmm. Yeah, Ringek does seem to, you know, assume a pretty strong parry, right? Like a curvish action. Yeah, you're coming around a sword and, you know, coming on top. Right, yeah, you're you're unterhowing and they're falling ridiculously on you, so you snap them, you know. Which, to right. be fair, is one of my high percentage actions against people doing an unterhow, so um, <laughs> maybe maybe people who fence me should study this play. Nah, yeah. nobody else is going to read Ring well, It. Well, yeah. <laughs> they should study this play, and then they should also study like the instruction on what to do when you fall on someone's sword. <laughs> so they know what happens yeah. next. In, in Shield How, yeah. Um, should I do my wrenching spiel now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in the uh in the title of this, we have here what I advise wrench off Hugh quickly with so that word wrench. I that's how I translate it. I think a lot of people translate it that way. It's from the German word Reisen. It's kind of like, in my opinion, that's kind of the key of, like, the textual dif differences in this specific spot. Because in Danzig and Lev, they use the word Reisen in the Abnehmen, way back in the uh, in the Zornhaus section. So they say, uh, you know, wrench off above and, you know, hew into the other side. And uh, Ringek doesn't do it, doesn't use that word in that section. He uses the word Huken, which means, like, jolt or... Um, jolt. So for that reason, um, in this section, in Danzig and Lev, we have a callback to the Abnehmen. So he's like, you know, do the Abnehmen, but, you know, don't go all the way. Just do half of it and come back in. While in Ringek, we get this new thing that is, you know, a new type of wrenching that we haven't seen before. So, um, yeah, just a, an observation. And it's interesting that the that this play, the half Abnehmen, isn't taught in the Zornhau at all. It's in the Spire extra paragraphs added on to Lev, but it's not in the sort of canonical glosses anywhere. Um, whereas the half Tukin appears in both places in Danzig and Lev and appears in Ringak only in Tukin, but he also has that play in Tukin. The half Tukin is actually not here in Danzig. If you notice the translation, I'm looking at love. I can open Danzig. Yeah, it's in uh, Nikolaus also. I think both versions. Yes, both versions oh, yeah. are in Nikolaus. So the so Danzig and Ringek both leave out the half token here, or you know, don't yeah. choose to include it twice, and then Lev does. Yeah, I mean, we can you know, if I were to guess as to why that's included here it's because it's like i'd say it's because it's like a similarish accent action the both in the vein of you know doing half of a thing and then changing your mind and going back in <laughs> but 
Who knows? Has anybody gotten this to work in sparring? Either of these? Any of these four? The Ringek wrenching with the pommel over their hands, for sure. Yeah, that's a fairly easy play for uh, against a wide parry. So the have two connection, I have a I have a version of it that I rather like that I use sometimes, um, which is not really the same as any Zukan interpretation I've seen. So I can't say that I think it's 100% correct. But essentially, if you're in a, a bind against a hard parry or someone who's just totally dominating you in the bind, you take a sort of oblique step sort of to the side, maybe a little bit back, and withdraw your sword till your weak is sort of on their middle. And then, but you're also moving the line over towards past their shoulder. And then you shoot back in with your point and establish a new bind where you're on top and in control. And I've gotten that to work with some success against people if you do it quickly. But there's no way to interpret that backwards into a full Dukin. So I'm not confident that it's actually what's being described here. But it is a pulling back halfway and then pushing back in that seems to work pretty well. I think like the the fainter disengage play works best when you have an opponent who's going to be reacting to your fencing. Because otherwise, if you get into the sort of weird twitch game from a bind, it's super easy just to go, haha, I'm going to fainter disengage, stab back in, and what's that? I've eaten a twer how. Yeah, something I, something I sometimes do against people who are very sort of happy to cut around from a bind is faint. Like, begin the disengage or a, or a zukan or a yanking or pretty much anything with the plan of parrying their cut around and then doing my finishing action. Um, if I don't think I can get in before it and come back to the parry afterwards, I'll switch the order of the actions and do a thing that I know will provoke the cut around, parry the cut around, and then hit them. Yeah, when, no. when I get things like this, it's more like not from, you know, cutting in, not from one person cutting in, but from... You know, when you both approach in long point and maybe something happens and you end up in a closer bind, then maybe I'll usually I pull back more than halfway. Usually it's like a full pull back and then, you know, see how they react from there. So it's kind is of like just, nice, uh, you, sorry. Is that just you going full kendo? <laughs> uh, well, kind of. It's that, that, that type of thing is is not uh, encouraged in kendo they uh <laughs> they prefer you to be uh more honest not use as many feints but uh fair enough interesting so the other the other time i've gotten the half upsets into work is usually by accident where what happens is uh, if i'm doing the upsets the sorry the up name and interpretation where you're cutting up and then back down on the other side of their sword, but the same side of their body, then if I if I pull back to their point and they immediately think that what they know, they know what's happening and go to parry and they move their sword, then my cut back down ends up on the same side of the sword and to the same opening just because suddenly the their sword is not in the same place. So right. all they have to move is an inch to the side and then my, which is like two or three centimeters for my communist friends, and then the sword will go back down as is described here. So it's not me fainting, it's me doing the same physical motion and them responding differently. Instead of pushing out, they pull in. And that ends up looking like what's being described, even though the intention might be different. 
I think the closest I've had to getting it getting it to work would be like the the half obnamen version, not really a half linear pole version. Um, but the half obnamen, and then of course I'm still not fast enough, so that doesn't land, but it sets up a good double. And so that tends to be the way <laughs> if I pull this off, that that play goes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd like to clarify also that I'm, I'm I've been talking about the up and down version. I've never gotten the the linear version to work really in any capacity, whether it's half or full. Nah. Should we move on to the? It only works in harness, though. You can you can faint disengages in harness really, really, really effectively. Yeah, I believe that. Right. If anyone now out just there go out and buy a harness. Yeah, I'll just go grab one of those and come back and try it out. So this is me just speaking out of jealousy. It's not real criticism, Jeff. <laughs> but if I've worn Jess's armor, so you all can be envious. I, I'm too big for it, sadly. Kendra tried it on, though. Oh, Kendra was also too big for it. That's right. You put the helmet on. Uh, I would like to ask if anyone out there in Fencing by the Bookland, if we have any listeners, I don't know, um, has video of Dukin actually being applied in free sparring? I would love to see how it happens. The, like uh, the pullback and pushback inversion. I would love to see someone who can do it well. I think uh, Michelle Renson actually um, posted a video of it working in sparring a couple times. Sweet. But, yeah, I just happened to uh, see it on Facebook the other day. I'll try to find it. One thing I've been working is pulling... Um, you know, like if you're in a Zorn or whatever and you're going to Zook, like just to give a setup, is Zooking into into Ox because it's shorter. And so it's easier to get the disengage yeah. and then re-engage back in to Flugish, you know, long point, whatever that, whatever you call that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're not pulling straight back, you're pulling back and up. The idea of pulling Where back and up to Ox is something I taught a couple of times when I went around this in Cambridge. Um, yeah, where I've had more success with a, a linear Zuken is by playing a sort of ox hangernaut game. And people are quite often on the back foot against that because they don't experience it much. So it's hanging on your left side, and once you get a bind, pulling straight back and re-engaging there. But I haven't started doing second-level feints with that because I'm not, my power level's not that high. Uh, but we can come back to this when the Zukin chapter comes up in a few weeks, I suppose. Sweet. So Ringak has another play against deflection, doesn't he? Against Fezetson? Yeah, he's got the uh, one which is a hook with the pommel over their hands, which is just a very simple, uh, simple effective play, um, and one which is a essentially snap, snapping uh, your hilt up past uh, someone falling on your sword and then cutting down in. But isn't there a third uh, play? Not that I can think of. This, uh, this is the text in glass of another play against the displacing. Um, well, they're set up on four ends, which I guess is the thing you're getting at. Um, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I guess we can do this as a transition. So this is a section which we'll talk about again for Danzig Lev, um, because they have a very, very different gloss of this bit. But Ringek has a play for the next couplet, uh, set upon four ends, learn to remain thereupon if you want to, wish to finish, to borrow somebody's translation from the thing which was right in front of me. Christian Joskler, but go. Thank you. Where essentially you cut from your right shoulder, and then as soon as they parry, you cut around with a twerhau, 
you grab your sword in the middle with your left hand and you do a half sword thrust to the face. Yeah. Uh, so it's this really nice, like a really simple uh, transition into half sword. Um, and then if they parry that out of the way as well, you go over with the pommel and either you do a pommel strike or you put the pommel over the neck and you put your leg behind and you do a throw. So it becomes very much an entry into kind of armored ish combat, short sword, uh, close play type actions. Um, this stuff actually yeah. works pretty well. Yeah, like Arto Fama's made a really good Hema career out of it. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Um, I've done it a couple of times, um, especially the first entry into the, um, uh, into the half sword. It works particularly well, actually, if you combine it with an elbow push, just to give them a bit of extra oomph in their parry if their parry isn't committed enough mm. to give you time. You can do the elbow push while you're bringing the sword around with one hand and then catch on and finish the thrust. Going full Fiore there, huh? Mm, a little <laughs> Never bit. Never go full Fiore. <laughs> but it's got a thumb grip, so it's not Fiore. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, an interesting different take on this material. It works reasonably okay, and it makes a nice kind of transition into, if you end up not landing any of this, then you just go into plays off the armored combat, um, which has a lot of material, obviously, for fencing from the shortened sword. Cool. So what do the good versions say? The other versions, which conflate <laughs> this with Mac Rides, and which we'll talk about in the next episode, uh, say... Actually, before that, just for... Um, to say one more thing about Ringek, I think uh, as far as Ansetzen goes, this seems to be coming from the... Uh, again, we talked about Harness before. This, this seems to be more like the Harness version of Ansetzen, which is shown again and again and again in the uh, armored section. Yeah, I guess actually one final little thing to say about Ringek is that there is a there's one kind of extra little line here, which basically says that you know you do your cut, you cut around with your Zvirchi thing, you uh, put your second hand on the blade, uh, do your half sword thrust, and it says or you can set upon him to the four openings to whichever you can best come, which kind of basically bundles the Danzig left play into one random line at the end of a section and then doesn't ever expand on it again. Yeah, because that's obvious what that means. So it's not completely distinct, but it definitely doesn't expand on it in the way that the other ones do. And um, what do the other ones do, Steve? So the other ones, you just stab, pretty much, stabbing them. Uh, specifically, especially in Danzig, you're stabbing them as they pull their sword back, either to cut or to thrust. In Lev, that timing is seems kind of implied, but it's not as explicit but it's but lev is more explicit about other things like um doing this to each of the four openings so like if he pulls to uh their upper uh right then you stab into their upper left opening and the same with the lower ones so so that's stabbing so, so the classic thing is your opponent walks into distance raises their sword into like Shoulder vom tag, and you stab them in the opposite shoulder. Yes. I mean, so the classic Anzetsen is basically any time in a tournament when people say, oh, that was a great Abzetsen, then probably what happened wasn't Anzetsen. Yeah. Because tournament commentators can never seem to tell those apart. <laughs> um, but any time yeah. when you see someone walk into distance and just go to Ox and stab their opponent, and maybe catch their sword on their cross guard as they come in. That's what they're doing. 
Cool. Yeah, I mean, f- fencing is messy. Sometimes it can, you know, be questionable whether it was one or the other. But uh, yeah. so, so just to be a language nerd, one second. Absetson is setting off, setting from, setting aside. Jesse muted, but you're doing great hand actions. <laughs> um, whereas Ansetson is setting on, and with with my like anti-technical language hat on, are these technical terms? Because this this cup looks definitely like setsan. Define well, term. is kind of a technical term because it's got its own Hauptstück later. There, I do mean Absetzen, yes. Thank you. Um, Ansetzen doesn't because it's not a real thing. Um, <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't you have a not really a wild theory, more of a mild theory, maybe a kind of like Sriracha level of spiciness theory that Ansetzen was physically putting your point on the opponent, whereas the rest of Longsword Lost Fashion doesn't have any thrusts. So Ansetzen definitely has an implication of physical contact, I think is probably the best summary. Someone who's more of a translator would have a better opinion on that than me, though. So there's a play in there's, there's a play in Jochen Meyer where he uses the term Ansetzen to uh, describe pushing your opponent back with the point of your blunt sword. Um, and that led to a whole bunch of speculation semi-recently about maybe that's what Ansetzen always is. And if we're if we're assuming sport fact in here for a minute, then you totally have the opportunity to put your sword on your opponent and not worry about stabbing them, but just push them around. Which I've certainly met fetters that that would be that would really suck to have that to me with, and others that are much friendlier. But either way, you can physically manipulate your opponent with your point. Um, even if you don't, if you're not trying to impale them, which, by the way, impaling is a translation of unzetsen that I've seen that I think is anti-factual, but is a thing that people assume is the purpose of this technique. But it it lines up with with armored fencing, where what you're doing with unzetsen is you're wedging your point into their armor to push them around and possibly to put little pinpricks in them, but you're not trying to stab through them because they're wearing armor. Can let you me comment on that? Let me uh, defend sorry. that mild theory for a second. Ah, so, go, go ahead, <laughs> so if you look up every... Um, oh, it's been, it was a while since I did this, but um, if you look up every use of Ansetzen in the longsword gloss for, I think, Danzig and Lev, maybe Ringek also, you never... They never tell you just to stab to the fate. Actually... I remember Ringek being especially careful about this. You're never stabbing just to the face. There's plenty of stabs to the face where it says like stich, which is like stab to the face. But Anzetsen, if it does say to the face, it says to the face or chest. So if if we're talking about a sport stab, then you definitely want to have like a non-face option. The second the second defense of this mild theory or piece of evidence for it is the um, Uberlaufen. So if you're physically holding the person back with Ansetzen, then that makes the Uberlaufen much more literal. So they you're literally holding them back so they can't reach you below. So they're not physically capable of reaching you below. 
Right, so this would be what it means when it says that all upper settings on counter and defeat the right. lower ones and overlap. Yeah, yeah, counter because and free from the lower, yeah. So the other, the other possible defense of this, sorry. I was going to button with a not very funny joke. How does all this work with T's floppy feathers? Hmm. Uh, pretty well, actually. Um, just not quite as well for shoving people around. But, so the, the other interesting thing is there's a line in the title in the, the listing of the Hauptstücke, which is the very last um, line of it is the... Um, uh, now I'm blanking on the German. Yes, how does that last line of, the, of that section go? The, um, that you've got classes on it. Is it how? Okay, fine. I've looked. At, I've pulled up the page. Schlagfach strike Stiegmeet Stossen. So if you have Stiegmeet Stossen, then that could be interpreted as thrust with with shoving or pushing, which might again, yeah, could refer to thrust them and then push them around with your thrust. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I don't know if it actually means that. In fact, it probably doesn't, but it could. Jess, as the only... Well, I mean, this is this this harkens back to, like, the dark days of HEMA, when we, uh, Jörg Bellinghausen always, you know, when he was teaching Messer, he would always say, you know, always always land those Messer thrusts right on the breastbone so that you don't accidentally run them through and they hit you as you're running them through. But that if you land that thrust right to the breastbone, you're going to knock them back and then, you know, do the, do the thing. So, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever, whatever you want to take from that. But I, I think that's, that's an interesting correlation, especially if you're looking at, at Lukushna. Cool. Uh, Jess, I was just going to ask. Yeah, Lukushner makes a lot of use of long thrusts as a counteraction. Jess, I was just going to ask, uh, as the only one of us who's played with Harness Fresh, actually, no, T T's been to your house and worn your suit. <laughs> but uh, how, how much does this line up with sort of the physicality of armored fencing? Well, so, so I interpret on Setson tactically differently because of armor. Mm -hmm. Um, and and maybe this circles around to a question I saw um, in in preparation for this conversation. But um, you know, why is this a why is this a serious technique? And <clears throat> in armor, when you have on sets, when you have actually reached an opening, is where the real real fight begins. Everything else is just preparation for that moment. Um, and in that moment. The lessons on Vor and Nock in armor talk about being able to step away, being able to deflect, pull that out of yourself and move around, right? And so really, nobody's dying until there's onsets. And then in onsets, now, now we're really, really, really fighting, right? Um, and so for me, to take that and then apply it back to Blosfecton, um, on Setson is about constraining, compelling the parry, being really, really in the fight now. I'm not messing around. I'm not reading you. I'm not trying to suss out who you are as a fencer. I've got all that nailed in. I'm going to knock rice. I'm going to shisen. I'm going to on sets. And then you're going to have to get really real to beat that. 
but that's my that's my take. Yeah, no, that that certainly gels with the very limited sort of armored fencing experience I've had. That where out of out of distance, you don't really care um, unless somebody's got a halberd. Because I did bow hurt because I enjoy the flavor of crayons. Uh, and it's once you've gotten into a tangle, then suddenly you have a lot more to worry about. I remember watching Bill Grandy at long point last year. Somebody thrust at him and he parried it kind of, but it got stuck in the elbow piece of his armor and they marched him out of the ring, uh, out of the gate of the ring on the point of their spear. Yeah. And won the match like that. It was really beautiful. To watch. It, he just couldn't. Yep. And that is on set, right? That is that is when the onsets has happened. Yeah, yeah, and it's very much like it's a thing that you see described very exactly in armor, um, marching people out of the ring or to the barrier on the point. But seeing it done in person was really quite dramatic. The uh, the armor at the last long point was the most entertaining Kima I've ever witnessed. It was great. Okay, so I'm going to ask another question about onsets, and and that is. Why is it in the section on Fairzetsum? Which I have an answer to, but I want to hear other people's answers first. If they have them. Um, I, my, my, my pat answer that, that goes back a long time, and I'm not sure I still agree with, is because we're we begin with the fear of Fairzetsum, which are ways to initiate against guards. And so Anzetsum follows the same idea of being an initiating action that allows you to enter against an opponent. Even though it's now not against guards, unless you maybe possibly against Fontag, but it's sort of the thrusting equivalent of the Fiafizetsen. At least that's what I've been telling people for a long time. What I find really weird is that the the this is such a fundamental technique in modern uh, sports longsword, and we just find it tacked on in the middle of uh, this one section about how to approach the different guards and another section about timing. It's just like, oh yeah, by the way, you can also walk up and stab them. Like, Are you saying why isn't it a Why isn't it the first lesson? I know that when Steve was talking about writing his own Zettel, he said that this would be a Hauptstück. I mean, it kind of is the first lesson if you look at the, the play. Well, it's in the general lesson of, of, of holding your point against lesson. his face or breast and compelling him to thrust. I mean, that is describing this sort of scenario. It just doesn't give the same tactical setup, but um, you are walking up to your opponent and stabbing them. That's that's what the technique is, or trying to, and then they'll parry, and then you use your Zekrur. So I think this, this could be seen as amplifying that teaching, as opposed to introducing something radical and new. No, I'm just surprised that we're 24 episodes of this damn show in before it we get to... <laughs> before we get a direct thrust. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you think of the uh, of the seventh of the um, gloss as two systems fused together, then really this is right in the beginning of the second system. Yeah. Which is something I forgot to bring up when we started the fear legger, and I meant to, because um, we haven't talked about it in a while. But there is the theory that. The Fierleger, the 12 Hauptstücke, beginning with the four guards, is a completely separate fencing system that Lichtenauer knew, and he sort of married it to the five strikes, as opposed to it being developed that way in the first place. So then you could look at it and say the first lesson is how to stand, the second lesson is how to attack, including the fear of Fizetzen and the fear of Anzetzen. 
and then it makes sense. But that's assuming that the that the that the Lichtenauer system is a Frankensteinish abomination stitched together from their fencing systems, which is hard to prove. Well, I think I so for me, this is here because it's the transition between Versetzen and Nachreisen, right? Because it isn't walk up and stab somebody, it's walk up and attack in preparation, which is an entirely different lesson, right? So that's that's my take. That leads us into the next thing we should talk about. Oh, is which this is a seamless the, transition into another episode. The, the time <laughs> of this attack. So, okay, I guess I'll ask Jess um, specifically. Do you think that the timing, as in the um, attack on preparation, is an integral component of Ansetzen, or do you think it's just part of this example that they're showing? Well, all of this, of course, is a callback if you trust you know, the author of Danzig um, is a callback to the the Gloss of the Four Openings back in Zornhau. So really, it's it's not that Onsetzen doesn't exist without Nachreisen. It's that Onsetzen is not as likely to get you to the win without Nachreisen, right? You could certainly, on, in, my, in my view, you can onset from a Zorn just fine, right? But that's not that's not what this lesson is about. This lesson is about being in the four. So with that then, how do you be in the four? How do you attack from Zufeshin with Nagreisen and Shisen? And and this is elaborating that point. Right. So there's a lot of places that say they have the instructions that's him on that are not this play. Right. Including the Zorn, huh? I mean, my answer to this question is just that Ringek doesn't put this whole section under here. He puts it in the next part where it does have a timing component, so who cares? Yeah. Well, but Ringek is, is doing it differently. He doesn't have this play. He has the governing principle that makes this play work. Um, I just want to real quick mention in the uh, the Cal version of Nikolaus, the, the first, the intro to it, um, at least the way that that I read it, and I think it might meant to be read, is uh, I feel it's a direct callback to the four opening section. Um, I translated it as um, the planting is an earnest technique because it arises directly from the four openings. So um, yeah, usually they don't they don't directly call back to earlier things, but that's why I uh, thought it was a little bit interesting. All right. I think that now's a good place to wrap up, isn't it? Has anybody got anything else they want to add quickly? Oh, one other thing. Wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Weren't we okay. going to talk about why love attacks to the the left opening rather than the right opening if somebody's in right font tuck? Yeah. yeah. I think that's fascinating and super cool. <laughs> and I want to know what you guys think about it. Well, I have a, I have a, um, a theory on it, I guess, a hypothesis. So they're not going to be able to see the video, but you guys are. So okay, so if you're in you know long point or whatever, and you pull back to this side, this shoulder is the closest target, and they want you to aim for the nearest, the nearest opening. So if you're aiming for the nearest opening, and they're pulling back to one side, that means the other side is going to be nearer. 
but but then when they begin cutting, that shoulder turn changes again, and the sword comes down. Well, but then and you're, you're not so good. If they've started the cut, you're not attacking into the chamber anymore. You're attacking into the the attack itself. So you're doing a different yeah, action. Yeah, yeah. But but you're going to land your thrust, and they're still going to try and chop you because they're they're chambered for it. Um, maybe. If you've already if you've already planted the point, then it becomes way easier to uh, you know now you have you have two fixed points, your hands and their like their shoulder. So it's much easier to hold against their cut. So one interesting, maybe, one interesting... maybe oh sorry, I was gonna say maybe a worthwhile note is when you onsets an armor, you onsets from Fluger Ox, you know, whatever the armored versions of it. And then you wind and couch your sword. So yeah, you onsets in long point and wind through their body, opening up their body and making your cover. Yeah. So uh, one, one thing that we haven't pointed out or that I want to point out is that in Peter Faulkner's treatise, he, he does something interesting. He shows the onsetsen as landing between the guy's two arms. So he's sort of planting in the middle of the person's chest, but it's almost like he's disrupting the cut by getting his sword under their arm and making so the cut is not actually going to work the way they want it to. Um, and I, I think he's also in Ox, although I'm going to pull the picture up and make sure I'm right about that. So it could be that he's sort of shooting out and then following it in. But also, if they're, depending on where their arms are, then targeting that position, that little window between their arms, would certainly be a way of disrupting them, um, even if you're going to go on their left side of their chest. Yeah, she's got the picture. Well, our oh, listeners, yeah. just imagine Jess holding up a book. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I, I forgot. So this is the first time we've recorded on videos, listeners. Uh, or we've had the videos up while we're recording. It's all novel, but I forget that's not going to be part of the podcast. Uh, we'll but, put but the anyways, picture in the uh, description. Yeah, Peter Faulkner shows a guy standing in right ox with his point on his, the middle of his opponent's chest between the arms and disrupting his cut that way, which is, it sort of changed the way I thought about the stupidity of going for the wrong side of their of them as opposed to trying to get in the way of their sword, um, which is if you're more aiming in a way you can disrupt their action, that's not their right shoulder necessarily, but anywhere underneath their cut. So I can't say that this has made me much more effective at this technique because I'm not very effective at this technique, but it has changed the way I think about it and the way I try to make it work. And maybe someday I'll be much I like Tobler, Tobler translates Faulkner to say that you should set upon the four openings whether he comes from above or below a straight point means to wound him. Right? So, like, ignore what he does. You know, stick your point in there. Cool. I, 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 go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say one last question for Steve. I think that you are translating uh, Ansetson as plant at one point. Yeah, I still am. You still are. Should we talk about translations for Anzetsen? Yeah, just quickly. Okay. Actually, my uh, translation for plant came from an article by uh, Jess Finley that I read a while ago. Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> it was the, uh, the the King and the Fool, the four guards of... Uh, 
of of uh, you know the the tunnel. And at one point, she talks about you know you have the ox and the plow, and you use them to do your work in order to plant your sword. And I really liked that, so that's why I've I've uh, gone with planting ever since. Strong farming metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> Forget hunting, we're onto farming. So, what other trans? I know um, Trossclair is doing pinning now, right? That's that's uh, his his Nikolaus translation. He says pin. That's yeah. pretty cool. It's also in his hunt's metal, I believe. Uh, I think he's also done impaling in the past, but I think he's backed off of that. Good. Setting on. Well, I was going to raise. A question for T. You've talked about uh, Tras Claire speaking of him and his uh, magical thrust that lands whether you want it to or not. Is that related to on Zetson? Uh, so the answer is I don't really know. Um, Christian Tras Claire showed me in Australia a thing from um, that he says comes from uh, Hutter, uh, who's the Mad Hatter of Hema, um, that's called the Hidden Point, the Verborgener Ort. Um, and basically it boils down to throwing the point into uh, just, so like if somebody's standing in tag, for example, at the shoulder, throwing the point just inside their hands, um, like by an inch or so. And it's a particular target that's incredibly- you mean towards their center. Hmm? By inside, you mean towards their middle. Yeah, towards their middle. And by picking a target like that, it becomes actually very hard for somebody to parry because if they try to parry early, then they come across before the point has actually reached the target and they miss it. And if they parry late enough that the point is here, they have to clear it a very long way across their body. And it's potentially, in fact, already past their other shoulder by the time they can engage the blade. So it becomes very difficult to parry. I don't know exactly what it's based on. Uh, I haven't read the source in detail, but it definitely works very well with an Ansetson-style timing of throwing it into somebody chambering an attack or somebody just preparing to go. And it's extremely difficult to make an effective parry against, uh, which is quite useful. Right, because the way you should be parrying it is is with a sort of inverted sword off to your... Yeah, you have to parry it out side. the other direction. Which is but not to do that, you have to, you have to get inside and then back out, or come under and then back out, and you have to do all of that during an incoming thrust, which you aren't expecting to work in this way. You just got to do a circle six. No yeah. <laughs> or step backwards. That, so that would that would totally fit, I think, with Donzig's less specific targeting of the Anzetsin, where he doesn't force you to go into the left opening if they have the sword on the right side, but maybe not with Lev as much. Yeah. But I've I've read Wilhelm and I don't think he's actually specific enough to to say whether what what the setup there is. My recollection is there's a whole lot of interpretation that goes into the hidden points. Yeah, I'm definitely not saying this is definitely the same thing, but it's interesting and works very well with the timing that Ringek describes for this material, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the next episode. Right. Yeah, as with, as with everything in um, Jörg Wilhelm, it's not very well described. So <laughs> I think there's probably a number of uh, things that you could come up with for what the uh, the hidden points that uh, for Borgen or mean. Or the false short, as he calls them. The forbidden points. Yeah, and then he says that there's four, but really there's. Then he talks about six. He says like this is the fourth. And the next one's like oh here's another one, and then after that he's like oh here's another one again. 
All right, so, sh so should we wrap up then? I Absolutely. just like, I have, uh, I have a perfect wrap up. Uh, quote, so. <laughs> Wait, did you have something else, Michael? What? Did you have something else, Michael? I, yeah, uh, I, I, was, I have the quote I we should like. Sorry, sorry. I was just thinking, like, for for thinking about Faulkner, um, and all of our conversation, we like modern hemis, myself included, have a tendency to like really, really default to the shoulder tog. But if you're thinking about Onsetsun and you're thinking about Hightog, suddenly Faulkner's stuff be thrusting between the hands, obviously, right? So these, these, um, our, our default mode, sometimes we need to make sure that we're, we're also considering over the head talk. So. Yeah, I didn't raise that because I was, I was glancing at Lev and he says, if you will hew from above, he will hew you from above. Or stab from his right side, and I saw I feel Hugh from his right side, and I thought he was calling out shoulder tug, but he's not. He's saying cut from above or a stab from the right. Mm -hmm. So he totally could be in high from tug, and then getting impaled below his arms, which would be a beautiful thing to see happen. Assuming they were blunt swords and not sharp ones, then it would be kind of, kind of gross. <laughs> um, but so so maybe we should end on this quote from Nicholas. Um, if he becomes aware of your of your um, thrust and displaces, ring with your sword on his and do not drop from there and work swiftly with your sword to the nearest opening. If he draws himself off from the sword, then deploy the Nakreisen. This will be explained to you immediately. Um, so here's the only thing that directly bridges this technique and the Nakreisen, although it doesn't say that the same thing. And that's only in the cowl version of Nikolaus, not in the rest yeah. version. All right. And on that bombshell, thank you very much for listening, everybody. <laughs> this has been Fencing by the Book. I've been your host, Mike Smoridge. Uh, joining us this week have been our usual panel of Michael Chidester, Stephen Cheney, TQ, and Johanna Hopfgardner, and our extra special guests. Thank you for joining us, Jess Finley. Bye. Mm -hmm.